Hello, Grovian podcast listeners, and a very warm welcome to this episode 18, this time again an episode in English. I spoke to Doug Kirkpatrick, and he is a TEDx speaker, an author for Forbes and the Huffington Post, and most importantly, he is an expert when it comes to self-management in organizational design, talent development, and leadership development. His passion is to make organizations thrive with engaged, innovative, and most importantly, self-directed leaders. He was the first financial controller for Morningstar, which is a company that was entirely built on self-management and self-control. Doxa, this company growing from 24 to 5,000 colleagues, and at Morningstar, he really learned that organizational self-management is real, that it works, and that it drives superior business performance. We will talk about this experience and what zero command control and natural leadership actually mean, how autonomy and agency play into all of this, and also what this meant for the hiring process. Oh, and we also talk about God when it comes to all of this. Um, Doug will also share what all this has to do with this new leadership that we need for a new world of work. And we also touch up on the education system and how what we currently do is rather insane when it comes to preparing young people for this new crazy world that expects them out there. With no further ado, here is Doug for you. And I am very excited to welcome you, Doug. Your early morning uh, close to uh, San Francisco in California and my uh, evening in Berlin. I am very excited to welcome you on the Grow Beyond podcast, talking with you about the future of work and education. Thank you so much for taking time to speak to us. Thank you, Rona. I'm absolutely delighted to join you today. <laughs> Um, you have a lot of very interesting and wonderful experience and I would like to start off talking a little bit with you about your experience at Morningstar. There is a very interesting TED talk out about that experience as well, which I will also put in the um, show notes of this podcast so listeners can also see it. But you had a very interesting um, experience there of self-control in an organization. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you at the time set up Morningstar and how you experienced self-control and freedom in an organization and what, uh, yeah, what that actually meant. Right. So when we started uh, Morningstar um, in 1990, uh, we were building our first factory and uh, we were working out of a, a little farmhouse and mm -hmm. our founder came in to the farmhouse one day and, and said, uh, I'd like to have a meeting and talk about governance and how to set up the company. And at the time, there were only 24 of us. Uh, I was the only administrative person. I was a financial controller, and um, most of the remaining group were technicians, mechanics, electricians. Um, and so we said, "Sure, uh, let's let's meet." And so we met in, in a construction trailer in the job site, and our founder uh, Chris Rufer handed out a document, Morningstar Team Principles, and he proposed that we organize governance 
around two core principles. Number one, uh, people shouldn't use force or coercion mm -hmm. against fellow human beings. And secondly, people should keep the commitments they make to each other. And when you think about it, these are actually foundational principles of human life. If you imagine a world where everyone uh, aligned their behavior with these core principles, we wouldn't need armies or navies or locks mm. on our doors. But we know that's not reality, but that's not the point. The point is the closer we approach that ideal state, uh, the better off we are as, as human beings, the more happiness and harmony and prosperity we can enjoy working together and think about the idea of keeping commitments uh, what an amazing world it would be if everyone <laughs> did what they said they were going to do yeah uh, 100% of the time and, and we know that's not reality but again that's not the point the point is the closer we get to that ideal state the better off we are as human beings uh, not only financially better off because integrity and commitment keeping has um, economic value, but we're also better off in terms of our relationships. So it would be an amazing world, and, and we, we strive to uh, achieve those principles each and every day uh, at Morningstar, um, albeit imperfectly. So um, what does that mean? Well, there's some really big ramifications to this type of governance. And one is that there's zero command authority. It means no one has any authority to walk up to another colleague and, and direct them or tell them what to do. Mm. I can't walk up to you, Ronan, and say, I want you to stop doing X and start doing Y. I, I don't have the authority to do that. So everything is accomplished through request and response. Um, and this, uh, we think, develops what we call natural leadership. So... If I want to be a leader uh, in the environment, uh, I have to develop that leadership, those leadership muscles through trust, respect, and communication, um, and by abandoning command authority. Mm. Um, we think this makes stronger leadership and stronger leaders. Mm. Um, we think that command authority causes leadership muscles to atrophy, because mm. if I can just order you about like a robot, uh, that's really not leadership. That's just telling people what to do. So um, we we believe strongly in, in these principles. Um, we think that they have uh, helped us uh, grow from zero to become the largest uh, company uh, of our kind in our, our entire industry in the world. Mm. Grown from zero to a billion dollars, basically, as a company. And um, from 24 employees to um, nearly 5,000 colleagues on a seasonal basis. So um, we believe strongly in these principles. Uh, we believe they've uh, given us the agility uh, and flexibility and strategic competitive advantage to um, achieve this growth and success. And uh, so we are finding that people are very interested uh, in, in what we call self-management and self-managed organizations all around the world. Um, as I mentioned in our earlier conversation, mm -hmm. uh, we had a cover story in the Harvard Business Review, uh, been mentioned in a number of books and podcasts and broadcasts and all kinds of media. And we're finding that uh, there's a lot of interest uh, in, in organizations and leaders figuring out how to achieve uh, better working ecosystems for human beings uh, 
mm. that allow the people and the organizations to thrive and the organizations to be as free uh, and as creative and imaginative and innovative and productive as the people um, working inside them. Mm. What did you first think when your boss at the time came in and proposed this? What were your, do you remember what your initial thoughts were? Well, it was very interesting because at the time, our little band of 24 were working extremely long hours. Mm. Uh, my recollection is we were working about 100 hours a week mm. uh, building this factory. And the factory was a $27 million factory in U.S. dollars at the time, 1990. It would be double that today with inflation. Um, and so it was a, a non-trivial uh, project. Uh, it was a very big project mm. uh, for a very small group of people. So uh, we thought it was interesting. We thought the proposal was was profound. We had lots of questions. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, as we sat in the trailer discussing it for a couple of hours, uh, we were all thinking, you know, we have to get up tomorrow morning and go back to work, mm. <laughs> finish building the factory. <laughs> so in some ways, it really didn't change our lives very much mm. uh, in the beginning. Um, so we walked out of the trailer house, uh, after that meeting in the evening and we were, we were at that moment, a self-managed enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, we didn't have time to celebrate yeah. or, or really absorb what that meant. We, mm. we had lots of work to do. So yeah, it was, uh, only, uh, it sunk in as we, uh, Uh, progress through the next year, two years, three years, that, you know, this is a very unique kind of situation mm. and we have to change the way we operate with each other. And probably also at that time, we couldn't really grasp yet, grasp yet what it would really mean and uh, how it would all unfold as well. But um, how actually then, how did you um, also recruit? I mean, you grew a lot, like you said, from 24 to uh, four to 5,000 people. So how did you recruit the people based on these principles? Right. So um, two recruitment uh, problems existed. One, we had to recruit um, what we call year-round people mm -hmm. who were primarily technicians mm -hmm. uh, to kind of strategize and, and uh, operate the factories uh, and plan and, and budget and organize and, and participate in hiring uh, because everyone's a manager in a self-managed environment. But then we had a large cohort of seasonal Uh, people that we had to hire every year and our season ran from July early July to mid-October and so um, w we didn't really have time to um, you know vet each and every one of the seasonal people we hired we had to have people who would sort tomatoes and fill containers and drive trucks and, and do kind of the hard work of the business so um, I would say with respect to the year-round people, that was a very important project uh, in terms of recruiting because we wanted to get the right people who would embrace um, a self-managed way of working and uh, relate well uh, to their colleagues in a network uh, structure, which would be completely different from the types of bureaucracies and hierarchies in which people normally worked. Mm. So what we found, uh, our hiring process was lengthy and uh, rigorous. Um, mm. 
uh, for example, to hire uh, an industrial electrician, we might spend uh, three or four or five months uh, mm. performing multiple group interviews. Mm. Um, and what we uh, found was that um, because electricians hire electricians and, and uh, accountants hire accountants, Mm. And salespeople hire salespeople um, because nobody cares more about getting the right people on the bus than the people who will be working side by side with mm. them all year long. Um, what we found is that um, in a group interview, uh, the electricians, for example, would spend very little time vetting uh, an individual's technical ability. They could cut to the chase very quickly yeah. with a, a handful of key questions. Uh, they would spend 90% uh, of a group inter group interview time uh, on self-management competencies. Mm. How would you self-manage in this situation or this scenario? How would you handle this problem? Uh, mm. How would you seize this opportunity? Um, and it was very, very important to them to find people who would adapt to a self-managed ecosystem. Um, and there were people who were technically competent, uh, who did not get hired because they did not seem to bring self-management competencies yeah. to the table. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, kind of how it went. And talking about these self-management competencies, what would you say, I mean, I, I, of course it's very complex, but what would you say would be the key competences someone in self-management needs to have? Uh, this is a great question, and I actually wrote about that in the Huffington Post. Uh, I had an article called 12 Keys to the Workplace of the Future. Uh, sort of been uh, curating a list for a number of years. Mm. Uh, but uh, one of my key competencies is the idea of initiative. Mm -hmm. So um, initiative is very important. Um, Initiative is kind of key to communication, mm. uh, and communication is really the lifeblood uh, for the health of any network. Mm. So we want people who uh, are, are bold and willing to uh, speak up and initiate uh, important conversations, sometimes tough conversations, mm. uh, who are willing to um, step up and, and uh, roll up sleeves and solve problems and uh, take advantage of opportunities. So we think initiative is kind of a key competency. Mm. Um, yeah. And um, another question, I mean, we talked about the inside of the company, but also I mean, within Morningstar, but outside, I'm imagining that yeah, you, you have built your, your company and it's working on the inside with the right people and the right um, yeah, measurements you have implemented. But what if someone from the outside calls, like I imagine another company calling and saying, oh yeah, you know, and I want to talk to, to the manager, right? Or I want to talk to that in this person because we all still so much function with some sort of hierarchy, right? So how did, like, what kind of challenges did you encounter there and how did you work around them? Well, that's a great question, Rona, and uh, surprisingly, uh, that has not proved to be much of a problem okay. at all. Um, uh, it can be confusing initially for mm. external stakeholders uh, when they're trying to, you know, penetrate the, the, the corporate um, uh, door and figure out who they need to connect with around a particular issue. Uh, but we publish a, a very detailed directory of um, which individuals handle which functions uh, and what their contact information is. Um, 
And as soon as uh, uh, an individual is connected to the right person inside the company, then mm. they start the relationship and and it becomes a non-issue. So right. it's a good question, but not, not a particular problem. Excellent. So that's also a fear that can be taken of companies that are wondering about this and say, oh yeah, but even if we do it, what will the outside, how will the outside perceive and how will it work for them? So um, yeah, gr great to know that. And then um, I'm also thinking on the inside, um, kind of again in the company, um, Did you, because you talked about like, yeah, communication is so important. I often find that, you know, we all think, yeah, we can communicate and we can, we have these and that kind of skills. It doesn't seem so difficult on the surface, but then maybe deep, more deep down when it's getting more complex, we actually do not. So did you also find that people um, really could not handle this self-management style and the self-initiative that was so important? And what did you do with them? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think some people are more effective self-managers than mm -hmm. other people in relating back to the, the competencies that we uh, alluded to a minute ago. Um, but I would say this, you know, um, at the heart of self-management is, is a, a set of beliefs about human beings and, and the nature of human beings. Mm -hmm. And one of those is that people have free will. Mm. So, um, you believe that people have free will, it's nobody's job to, you know, push people to uh, enter relationships or conversations or to be more motivated mm. or to receive a certain kind of training or, or anything else. People are responsible for themselves, mm. uh, just like they are outside of work. So, yeah. uh, you know, in their personal lives, no one tells us who to date, who to marry, where to go to college or anything mm. else, we, or whether to travel the world or live in China or Australia or anything yeah, else. Yeah, we yeah. just, we make those life altering, large decisions on our own yeah. and, uh, without a boss. And so the same logic applies inside the enterprise. Mm. Uh, we decide who to talk to, what to prioritize, which resources to curate, uh, what to work on next. Uh, we, we're all making those decisions on an hourly, minute-to-minute -minute basis, um, freely, uh, absent coercion and force. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, it's um, it's uh, you know treating people as if they're adults, mm -hmm. and uh, and they're going to do what they're going to do. And if someone chooses not to raise an issue that they probably would be better off raising, um, then they they've made their choice, and they have to live with that choice. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you we think can coach, that, we can mentor, you yeah. know, we can coach and mentor, but uh, we can't push people to do things they aren't going to do. Do you think that there's to some extent also because we don't have it in our private life, but maybe somehow we still wish for, um, you know, a higher authority or also always think, you know, religion and believing in God sometimes, you know, it takes off the burden of being responsible for your own decisions in your own life fully, you know, that there's maybe also the desire to at least in someone work have someone telling you what to do and what not to do and give you some sort of guidance. Yeah. So, um, Some people want uh, guidance, mm. and if they're uh, uh, willing to um, negotiate uh, uh, a subordinate role in a, a mini hierarchy inside mm. a larger self-managed enterprise, that's perfectly okay. Mm. The key is the voluntariness of yeah. the relationship. Yeah. So I can't force someone to, to be my boss or, or my subordinate, but if, if we want to negotiate some kind of 
working relationship that has some aspects of that. Uh, and it, it's beneficial to our fellow colleagues and to the enterprise as a whole and fulfills the mission and, and it's congruent with the values of the enterprise and that's perfectly okay. Now, if someone uh, wants to defer uh, leadership or, or direction or authority to someone else, that, that person's efforts may not be as valuable mm. as someone who is a, a leader who um, takes initiative, who, who is willing to create uh, direction and, and guidance for others. But, um, you know, that's handled out through compensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's truly valuable to the enterprise. And, and it's a voluntary association, then it's perfectly okay. Yeah. You uh, you just mentioned the values as well. And um, I remember in the TED Talk, you also mentioned, you know, how amazing it is to, to work with people that can't wait to get back to work on Monday. And also this distinction between work and life, right? Like, like, working is our life kind of so what for you um if you would need to sum it up what were the key um pluses or the key outcomes from working in this way i mean that people were were more happy with their work they were more satisfied with how they were working because they could you know um, bring in their own ideas and so on creativity innovation what were for you the key points well i've generally have found a ratchet effect um pretty much universally, not only at Morningstar, and that is when people um, um, have autonomy and agency mm. and freedom at work, they never want to go back mm. <laughs> to the uh, traditional um, yeah. hierarchy yeah. Um, because they're, they're free to create. It mm. unleashes their creative uh, spirit, their imagination. They're free to innovate. Uh, we've had some great uh, examples of innovation springing up from all kinds of areas at, at any time. Mm. Um, a mechanic uh, came up with a better way to handle chemicals, save millions of dollars in a very mm. short period of time. Um, those opportunities are available to everyone. Mm. Uh, many people seize those opportunities. Mm. Uh, also, problem solving um, opportunities, just opportunity to create, to be imaginative, to um, kind of have blue sky innovation thinking. Um, mm. We're always kind of shooting for perfection, trying to drive our cost to zero and our efficiencies to 100%. Um, mm. It's just uh, it's just a very liberating uh, way of working. What I also found uh, in talking to uh, a leader uh, named Stephanie Gladden at the University of Phoenix is that when they adopted self-management, Uh, the principles were very, very precious to them. Mm. And when they internalized uh, those principles, uh, they told me that not only did the principles uh, help them in their work lives, but also help them in their personal lives, in Mm. their community lives, in their civic lives, in their family lives. Uh, They were universally beneficial. Uh, They made their lives better in a very holistic way. Mm. Yeah, those kinds of stories are, are extremely heartwarming. Mm. Yeah, and um, I actually, I mean, I think there's so many great things in this, and of course, so many, many more questions. But I want to ask you two more things: uh, one about leadership, and one about education. So um, I think we we talk a lot about um, this new world of work and what kind of new leadership we need in that, and what kind of leadership can support innovation positively. So, what would be your take on this coming from this? I mean, at first sight, there's no leadership, but there's probably some sort of leadership, and you already talked. About 
about coaching and mentoring. So what would be your take on that? What kind of leadership would we need in this new world of work and in the world of self-management as well? Well, self-management leadership is, is, uh, can look very different mm -hmm. uh, than traditional leadership or, or leadership in a command uh, ecosystem because uh, it's all based on request and response. Mm -hmm. um, so we were talking a little bit earlier, but when you um, are a leader in a self-managed environment, uh, you have no command authority, zero command authority. Mm -hmm. uh, everything is accomplished. Uh, through request and response, and we believe this is natural leadership. Mm. So um, we, we think the command authority causes leadership muscles to atrophy. Uh, when you have to accomplish things through other people using trust, respect, and communication, that causes leadership muscles to get stronger. Mm. And so we believe that this kind of an environment creates great leaders and great leadership Mm. And you do need leadership in a self-managed enterprise. You absolutely do. Mm. Um, how are you going to uh, execute a strategy without leadership? You have to have people who are willing to um, uh, create a, a vision of a desired future state and invite people to join them. Mm. Uh, so we uh, believe strongly in leadership, but we believe in natural leadership and uh, zero command and control. Mm. Yeah, and uh, the, the final question I would like to talk to you about is uh, in, in the sphere of education. So I'm thinking that, of course, what you described there and this um, new way of working, and we all need to be, become more self-management, um, have more self-initiative. And uh, I'm wondering to what extent that is obviously detrained or not actively trained in our education systems right and to what extent do you also think what do we have to change there what do we have to change in schools what do we have to change in universities to actually prepare people better as well for this working world and for that kind of style of working that i think we will see more and more in the future as well because everything is becoming more decentralized um, through technologies and so on so what is your take on how and what kind of lessons could we possibly translate from that to education? Yeah, it's a great question, Rona. I would say that uh, if we look briefly back at the history of education, uh, if we look at the United States, for example, mm. it's no coincidence that the American education system of command and control uh, mm. sprang up in the 1840s and 1850s uh, along with the beginnings of the Industrial Revolution. Mm. Um, America, uh, the American continent had 200 years of self-managed education before the 1840s. And then uh, uh, people like Horace Mann uh, and others wanted to copy the Prussian model uh, of command and control. And, and so they created what they called the common school. And they tried to push everyone in, into a common school so they'd all learn the same things at the same rate. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, become good factory workers and, mm. and good workers in the workplace uh, and uh, good, obedient uh, um, uh, colleagues. So mm. we uh, uh, have now, uh, the world's changing so fast um, and, and organizations are changing so fast and they're going to change uh, even faster and they're going to change even more because we look at the, the horizon, uh, we can see things like the blockchain and mm. artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and all the other disruptive technologies. Uh, we don't even know what an organization is going to look like in, in a quarter of a century or 50 years. So um, 
the idea that we're going to um, push kids into a common school, what we call public school, and we're going to have a teacher who's a sage on a stage in front of the class mm. and going to cram knowledge into their skulls and they're going to learn certain things and pass certain tests and then that, and call that education. It's kind of becoming a joke, really. It's, yeah. it's not realistic. Uh, it's not honoring uh, their human potential and human spirit. Um, I look at the radical models like uh, Sugata Mitra, who won a million-dollar TED Prize for his work in education. Mm. And he was the uh, focal point of the movie uh, Slumdog Millionaire, mm -hmm. where he put a, a computer in a wall and watched kids play with it and realized kids could teach themselves anything if mm. they had the right resources, which he identified as access to knowledge and light mentorship. And so he took his TED Prize and he created models of schools uh, in third world countries mm. uh, where he tested his model. And it's an excellent model. Mm. So uh, kids are able to, to learn. Uh, all they need is some guidance and mentorship. Uh, the idea of sitting in a classroom and, and a bell goes off every 40 minutes and you get up and move to the next classroom. Uh, is really kind of insane mm. uh, when you think about the way people actually live their mm. lives. I know. It's not how we operate yeah. in real life. So um, his, his uh, radical model, I think, and other um, models around the world, Ricardo Semler is doing great work in education and many others. Um, um, Chris Rufer, the founder of Morningstar, is uh, uh, working with some new educational models that are really great. So um, there's uh, enough uh, churn and disruption out there combined with new technology and, and people that are passionate about change. I think the, uh, the education model of the past uh, 150 years is, is starting to break up, and it's, mm. it's about time. Yeah, I think that's already a very good closing word. It's about time. So, um, yeah. uh, but I, I just wanted to, to, yeah, I mean, one last thing. Um, I will definitely include links to the different things you've just talked about as well so the listeners can follow up on them. Um, and also, of course, a link to your TED Talk and to your books as well so um, people can find out more. I mean, it's very complex topics, of course, we touched on very briefly. And maybe just the last note from you. Um, is there something where you get inspiration from, something you like to read, um, something you would advise our listeners to also have a look at, um, what kind of resources uh, yeah, to, do you use for your own learning and uh, for your own development? Is there something you would want uh, to point them at? Well, I, I'll point them to something they probably have not heard of, um, mm -hmm. and that is uh, the great uh, Dr. Peter Kestenbaum. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Peter Kessenbaum uh, is a great friend of Peter Block, and they've co-authored a book called Freedom and Accountability at Work, mm -hmm. uh, which is not an easy read, but it's a very important read, uh, and I uh, draw a lot of inspiration from it, and partly because Peter is a friend of mine uh, and a great mentor uh, and a great inspiration for me. Uh, he also has, uh, he's uh, in his 90s now, Uh, wow. But he still has a, a blog uh, that he publishes every two weeks or so, uh, which you can find at pib.net, uh, and that stands for Philosophy in Business, okay. pib.net, uh, where you can actually take a, a, 
uh, online leadership assessment and learn about his leadership diamond model, uh, which is all based on uh, free will and human beings uh, acting with integrity and courage. So it's a great inspiration for me and working in the self-management world. Excellent. I will definitely include that link as well and that information. And I, I thank you so much, Doug, for taking time out of your busy schedule, traveling all over the world uh, to, to speak to us today. And uh, yeah, really, thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful day um, at the other end of the world. A wonderful day ahead of you. Thank you, Rona. Appreciate it very much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed these insights and are ready to grow beyond. If you have any questions or feedback, please head to www.growbeyond.com, beyond spelled with you because it's all about you, or email rona at growbeyond.com. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. All infos are also in the description of this podcast. We are looking forward to hearing from you. Let's grow. I'm Rona. Thank you for listening.